Hello and welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. Uh, we are joined on this Independence Day uh, by Matt Machel. Good evening, Matt. How are we doing? Oh, good evening. I'm doing pretty well. Good, good. We, of course, uh, you have your usual hosts here, Josh Hartley and Ben Porter. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so Matt has kindly joined us uh, to have a chat, well, I mean, about gaming and RPGs in general, uh, but we've uh, had the privilege of having uh, a look over his recent endeavour, The Queen's Men. We've had little bros. Yes. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that uh, in a moment. But what we normally like to do on these uh, these shows, Matt, is uh, get into the personalities behind the people who make the games as well and just figure out what, what makes you tick. So tell us about the real Matt Yeah. Really? So how, how how did you how did you get into the RPG scene? Ooh, um, well I think my entry into the RPG scene was fighting fantasy. Um, it's it's all oh. the Stone's fault. So um, I got a copy of the Forest of Doom. Excellent. I think he's to blame for a lot of our hobbies, to yeah. be honest. The old plastic crack as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, that's the classic reign, isn't it? Fighting fantasy to games workshop to RPGs and everything else. Yep. <laughs> that's a, a pretty concise history, actually, of how a lot of us get into uh, It sounds like the RPG. title of a book, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> or a three-part television documentary. Yeah, they should write a book about that. Yeah. So uh, the Queen's Men, uh, we were reading it. So just uh, just for our listeners who may not have heard of it, uh, can you give us an overview of what uh, what the setting is and how it's maybe a little bit different to your uh, your, your standard RPG experience? Okay. So um, the Queen's Men is um, well, it's technically a follow up. It's the sequel to um, a previous game of mine called The Agency. And the mm-hmm. agency with 1960s spies and fairly traditional role-playing setup of you, you play characters who are these spies in the 1960s. Uh, and in the original version of that, there was a kind of a throwaway setting that I put in called The Queen's Men, um, which was Elizabethan spies. And mm-hmm. then a couple of years ago, I thought, right, let's let's take this and expand it. And so The Queen's Men basically takes the agency and adds in a whole extra meta layer about um, you're not just playing characters who are Elizabethan spies, which is pretty cool mm-hmm. and quite good fun. But there's an extra layer in it as well because you're also playing the actors playing those characters in a slightly off-the-wall 1970s TV series. Um, and so it's it's kind of a multi-layered fiction thing going on there that's... Um, you don't often see in a role-playing game. Just going to say, it's certainly the the, the first time that I've uh, I've heard of it, uh, where yeah. it's almost RPG Inception. Yeah, you're, 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 you're character, playing characters, playing, character. playing characters, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. I thought was really cool. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's something I've been a fan of for a while. There's a lot of, um, I think they call it a metafictional conceit, where you you in order to make it easy to get into something, you kind of give people an excuse to. Uh, particularly with historical games. I mean, this is one of the things with the, the Queen's Men that I found is that people need permission to muck about with history. Mm-hmm. And so by giving them that extra fictional layer of, oh, well, you're not playing a character in history. You're playing a character misremembered by the 1970s <laughs> TV series. And it kind of gives people permission to do slightly more off the wall yeah. things, diverge a bit, do their own thing and kind of own it a bit more. Yeah, I was going to say, because the, the sort of um, the example campaign and characters uh, that is in The Queen's Men, you play these historic figures of Francis Bacon, uh, etc. And 
but um, <laughs> rather than just normal normal Elizabethan happenings, you've got vampires and werewolves and <laughs> just a bizarre menagerie of fantasy creatures, as well as the sort of usual papal plots and uh, Spanish uh, invasion and all of that uh, thrown in the mix for good measure. Well, that's it. It's that, that kind of mix of stuff. And what, what I wanted to get across in it is that feel of that slightly dodgy 1970s tv series where the sets are all crumbling and the actors maybe aren't always up to snuff <laughs> and they're like they're second-rate actors who've maybe been in a carry-on movie mm. um and there's kind of veiled references to carry-on movies in some of the um character setups in the game and it's it's that kind of enthusiasm for that particular era of genre tv which i think helps kind of make the game something a bit different and makes people think about oh well it's not just the fact that this character's failed. Uh, this character's failed because the stuntman was like not paid enough or was, wasn't working that day, so he had to do his own stunts and all that kind of meta-layer stuff that you build in. Uh, and and uh, we, we, were, we, we observed this before we came on the recording, actually. So obviously you mentioned that the agency was very much heavily inspired by your 1960s spies. I, I, I mean, I imagine Avengers, not the Marvel superheroes but the the bowler hats and cat suits avengers uh what what is it about that sort of era of um i'm I'm, I'm trying to think of a different word other than camp but i think camp is probably the right hope fiction yeah that's that sort of period of the 60s it is that 1960s campy pulpy feel and it is that i think it's something about i mean i don't know about you guys but i growing up in the 80s they were repeating Mm. this stuff on on BBC Two at about six o'clock in the evening. And so it, in a weird way, even though it was 20 years old at the time when I was growing up in the 80s, I kind of grew up with a lot of that, Teddy. So there's things like um, the original Avengers and the Man from Uncle and the Persuaders and Department S and all these kind of very lively, a bit off the wall, quirky, very English and British in their own way. Um, compared to what the, the stuff that was coming in from the states at the same time in the eighties, so it was, yeah, it's and it's it's something about that just moving into Technicolor where they've realised that they can do colour on television, and it's so bright and vibrant, and they just think, well, we we've got the technology now, let's put people in purple cat suits because we can, <laughs> uh, and it's 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 a nice era of television because it's 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 almost like the genres finding itself at that point as well, the 1960s stuff. It's before they've kind of laid out how it all should work. And you've got things like The Prisoner who are where they're kind of really playing with the medium of television. I, I would I would argue The Prisoner actually stands up to uh, viewing the today, though film. it's... Uh, yeah. it, I mean, I, it, don't get me wrong, the visual effects have aged horribly. But uh, yeah. I think in terms of story, the rover, yeah, oh my, oh god, and uh, yeah, the it's, <laughs> it's but just the storytelling element of the prisoner, I think, worked really well, and they did kind of reboot it, didn't they? Didn't they have Jim Caviezel? They had, um, they had a go at it, <clears throat> but I, I was going to say that a lot of this TV, I think, was before my time, because I think certainly, like even like when I when I was a kid, I don't remember it being. Uh, shown on the TV very much, mm-hmm. but um, 
my my dad talks about some of these shows quite a lot, like because the, the quite the fondly. One, yeah, well, the one the one he talks about a lot is um, Ivanhoe. Ivanhoe. <laughs> he, he, he loved Ivanhoe, oh, wow. and I think that was um, oh, what's his name? It's the 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 Bond actor Roger Roger Moore. Roger Moore. He played Ivanhoe. I'm so tempted to try my impression of Roger Moore, In but the, the world is not ready. But he he, sh- he showed <laughs> me a couple of clips of it, and it's it's the total ham acting that. You know, like uh, that Matt's talking about for like the the Queen's Men. Like, there's this bit where the bad guy's lying in wait for Ivanhoe, and it, it is like he can't be arsed doing it today. Because like, so Ivanhoe's a capable fighter. I'd be on your guard. It's that it's that type of delivery, you know. And that and that was like in in my head, the 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 sort of voices I had in mind when I was reading through the the Queen's Men. I I, I kind of got I got a couple of different vibes from it. I mean, when Charlotte told me about it uh she did mention garth Marenghi's dark place are you a fan matt i i am yeah i mean if if i had an aim with the queen's men it was kind of to distill that kind of the the feel from something like garth Marenghi's dark place into a role-playing game and make it possible for people to create that kind of weird meta thing where you've got not just the tv show but the actors who are actually actors talking about making the TV yeah. show and all that kind of weirdness of, of how of, that breaks you out and pulls you back in and self-references in really interesting ways. It's <laughs> kind of give you the, the tools to do that, hopefully, is the aim of the game. As an aside, I think Matt Berry would make an excellent Francis Bacon in uh, the, Queen, <laughs> the Queen's <laughs> Men. I imagine more of him as a Francis Drake-type character. Do you think? Yeah, Sorry, I, think I beg so. your pardon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the sort of swashbuckling debonair hero. I'm definitely not going to do my impression of Matt Berry because that it, no one can do that voice justice. I don't think so. No, no. Uh, so so should our listeners uh, if if they want to get uh, get their hands on uh, the rules and uh, to give it a go uh, Matt where, where can our listeners go and uh, find that so um it's available via various routes so um if you want to find out more about the various games I've made in the past mm-hmm. um all my stuff can be found at realms.co.uk uh which is uh, the domain name where I blog and uh, Put all my various games and it can also be found on rpg now and uh, lulu and the usual suspects for kind of downloading your uh, uh, pdf or uh, getting a print on demand copy excellent excellent and uh, we'll be sure to uh, i mean having read through i'm definitely gonna uh, give uh, my gm tom maybe a little nudge and say you know if we fancy having a break from pathfinder at some point yeah. this might be worth a go yeah. <laughs> But it's certainly been a different play experience. Oh yeah, uh, I, 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 I've, I've got a, a thirst for hammy acting at the best of times. So any, anything that gives me an excuse to actually go and do it, uh, I'm going to go and do it. So <laughs> I think a lot of role players have a, a thirst for a hammy acting. It's it kind of goes with the territory. I think. I, I think a lot of them are ham actors, even if they don't realise it. Anyway, so it's. I'd like to think I'm fully self-aware. Yeah. At least. Like, um, yeah, certainly some of the Pathfinder Society guys were talking the other day about how um, Critical Role's been a bit of a blessing and a curse because it's like now everyone wants to rock up with their zany characters and talk in their, you know, their weird little voices they've come up with. Yeah, and 
Sometimes it works. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't. But speaking of Critical Role, yes, D and D, we've mentioned this in the podcast before, has seen a meteoric surge yes. in popularity of late. As as someone who's quite clearly uh, a veteran of RPGs, Matt, what what do you make of that? It's, it's interesting. Um, it's one it's one of those things where it's the confluence of events at the same time, like streaming taking off and thing and youtube channels taking off and kind of showing D for bit to be the fun experience that it is has has really helped it i think with fifth edition I mean, they certainly struggled a bit more with fourth and like bringing the fan base over and the whole thing yeah. of pathfinder splitting off being its own kind of 3.5 plus and mm-hmm. lots of edition wars but it's 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 really interesting to see how fifth has kind of coalesced things a bit more and then lots of people just got behind it and used all these new platforms to kind of grow the audience really and then that's that's the nice thing about it it's it's kind of showing role playing games and D&D in particular as being a fun activity to the wider world which i think it it lacked a bit of um, in the past, yeah, yeah, I, I, I certainly think years ago it was, it was the sort of sweaty neckbeards in a basement uh, type of. It was certainly you, you it? certainly felt like you were going to be the butt of a joke yeah. if you were, you know, if if God forbid one of your work colleagues found out. But even thinking about like cartoons we we watched growing up when we were kids, like, I, I remember there was an episode of Dexter's Lab when they were all pr- playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like oh, that's brilliant! That episode, I love yeah. that. Yeah, but, but, but <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's funny, but at the same time, like Dexter and his pals, they're all weird, right? Well, I mean, Dexter's got a secret laboratory. In yeah. his, in his bed. To be fair, you know, if it's wrong to have a secret laboratory in your bedroom, I don't want to be right. Yeah, yeah I mean, who doesn't? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's an example of like Matt was saying what. Um, what hitherto was the perception of uh, a D&D player, I think. Yeah, whereas now um, it's definitely, I think public perception has definitely changed. Do you think, I mean, Matt, do you think, do you think any of the, the, the growth and popularity of Dungeons and Dragons and RPGs in general, I suppose, yeah. do you think any of this is, is maybe a reaction to, do you think people are maybe getting bored with video games? I don't, I don't know. They're, they're very different experiences, I suppose, but... Yeah, I don't. I don't think people get bored, but I think people want different experiences. And I think, uh, yeah, certainly with uh, role playing games and board games having their resurgence, it's uh, it's it, it's all about having those different experiences and the tools to make them being much easier to get to hand. I mean, back in the day when in the eighties when D anD D was first out, if you wanted to publish a box set of a role-playing game, you were looking at having to sink in thousands of pounds to get a print run and do all the work. Whereas mm-hmm. now you can upload a PDF um, to RPG Now and have hundreds of people download it, or you can print your own books with minimum of fuss. And I think a lot of that kind of the production side of things is much easier now, which means that there's much more keenness to for people just have a go of putting their own things out there. And I think that helps as well. And I think that's helped bolster the whole industry and that the technology that made it easy for um, some of the larger players has also made it easier for the big, uh, for the smaller players and vice versa. 
things like Kickstarter have been a blessing to both sides of the industry because they make it very easy for um, people to put out ideas and just go, hey, here's my idea. Do you think it's worth taking any further? Which you didn't have before. You had to take a lot more risk a lot earlier on in the process in the olden days of uh, the 1980s and 90s. So I think, yeah, the last 20 years have really helped with that. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You know, the, the barrier to entry to becoming a creator of these games has dropped significantly since like you were saying the 1980s and 90s thanks to thanks to technology so really all all you need if you want if you want to be the 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 person who's creating a new rpg you just need the imagination and you know the willingness to put the time in to do it i guess what i would like to ask now is that we we mentioned earlier in the conversation that um, RPG culture was previously quite exclusive, and whether that was due to um, outsider perception or not, we don't know. But as with anything that was previous previously exclusive and no longer is, there are detractors to it becoming more popular and opening up, and and that that's definitely something that that you have within the the RPG culture and community and what what would be your answer to that what how do you feel about that well i think it's it's one of those things i mean people want to feel ownership of a thing whatever hobby they're into whether it's model aircraft or ballroom dancing or whatever mm-hmm. and so any culture that builds up over a certain period of time is bound to get entrenched so I think it's it's interesting that yeah there is a kind of like my fun is better than your fun kind of yeah angle that some people have on it and it's like guys get over it go and have your fun our, let's be over here having our fun as well um, and yeah it it is uh, there there are some more extreme reactions to that than others but yeah hopefully the fact that you've got the internet and you can find people who are interested in whatever style of role-playing game or card game or whatever niche you particularly want to build a community in yeah it's possible now with the kind of long tail of the internet i mean certainly yeah, when i started putting my weird little role-playing games up online back in the early 2000s yeah i thought oh, no one will be interested in this and then lo and behold. <laughs> and lo and behold, people are interested and people send you feedback. And because it's such a big population, every kind of potential niche can be catered for. I think that's the nice thing we've got at the moment in both role-playing games and board games is you can have all kinds of topics covered from what's traditional in role-playing games which is D and fantasy and things like that you can have all the way through to things like fiasco to the agency to inspectors and everything in between publishing in different models publishing in different formats games that take half an hour to play games that takes years to run a campaign of um kind of it's it's a broad church now and there's lots of opportunities out there to try new things and to f- realize that maybe actually D isn't for you but there's these other games over here that might be and vice versa so yeah i think it's it's a nice time for the hobby because there is so much choice almost too much yeah no no yeah you, you you're absolutely bang on it's uh it board games as well but particularly rpgs with you know the nature of it you know, you have to use your imagination. Yeah, it's great to have the miniatures on the board, yeah. but uh, 
ultimately most of the visualizing of what's going on is being done in your head and because of that an rpg can be anything you want it to be uh and it certainly doesn't need to uh, lim- and don't get me wrong we, we say this on the show quite a lot i love fantasy and science fiction love them but anytime i see a game or an rpg that's themed something a little bit different that always piques my interest a bit more and uh, it's always great fun to well, exactly like exactly the case with the Queen's Men. The experience of being a hammy 70s actor playing this uh, old Elizabethan spy mm-hmm. uh, is unique, right? Yeah. How else are you going to get that? Yeah, and that's and that's it. I mean, the, the modern gaming scene is is varied enough that you can have weird esoteric ideas that yeah, a decade ago would have been a bit harder to put out there and a bit harder to convince people to play. Yeah. Um, but you can roll up to games on demand at a convention these days and play all kinds of things, um, from my little games to little um, two-player romance RPGs to all kinds of things. I mean, it's it, it's it's a varied church now. And um, 20 years ago, you'd be lucky if you got maybe a fantasy game and a sci-fi game and someone's homebrew convention whereas now it's there's so much variety i mean that that was so evident at uk games expo as well i remember going on the website before we went down and looking at the events list and just the stream of different rpgs that were being played the variety of different rpgs uh, that were being played as well it wasn't all like you say just limited to dungeons and dragons and pathfinder uh, everything imaginable under the sun. Someone we, was... we saw that um, Estherin one, didn't we? They, it's they've gone. It's like a sort of dark Celtic, yeah, low fantasy setting. Sort so. of different take on the fantasy theme. Someone yeah. was telling me, and I think this is a brilliant idea for an RPG. Or it made me laugh at least. Was Jason Statham's Lovely Holiday, <laughs> where <laughs> you play an you play an RPG where you just need to make sure that Jason Statham has a lovely holiday. Now, who 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 doesn't want to do that? I'd like him to have a terrible holiday. Oh, don't wish well on Jason, uh, uh, Jason Statham. It what's he, what's it he would, done it would, to you? Well, it would make for a more compelling story if he had a horrible holiday, wouldn't it? <laughs> bit of conflict. Yeah. A bit of tension. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, Matt, you, you, of course, were at UK Games Expo as well. So did you, um, did you get a chance to play any new RPGs while you were there? Um, I didn't this year. I mean, this is the first year that I haven't um, managed to get over to uh, the role-playing section, which is quite a shock to me. But uh, I think this was also the first year where I managed to bring the whole family on the Saturday, which kind of skews uh, the con a bit. Um, so, you know, previous years I've tended to go and play things on the Saturday afternoon when their convention hall gets very busy and it's worth kind of ducking out. Um, but this year I was there with uh, both children and my wife in tow, so uh, that was good. I mean, that's the nice thing about Expo. It's a really family-friendly convention, and they've they've been like that since year one. I mean, I I can still remember in the first year when they had it in the Mason Bunker, um, which was this strange little Masonic lodge off the Hagley Road (laughs) in Birmingham, um, which is a strange 1960s um, construct, (laughs) and they had 500 people, but even in the, the... first year they did a lot of work at expo to go out to all the local schools and go to the there's a tolkien experience weekend thing um because birmingham has a connection to tolkien of course um, yeah and they went out to that and they they were running fantasy games at that to try to get 
the interest from the local community to get people two weeks later to turn up to Expo. And they've always had that very family orientated view of the con, which I think is great. And it, it shows in the fact that they've got, I think, what was 30,000 people or 30,000 turnstile this year? It was a very big number. Someone I, think, was... I think the unique visitors they had when I last checked, it was 21,700. But um, yeah, yeah, of course, people are buying like weekend tickets as well yeah, and sure. showing up on like each day of the weekend. Still a lot of people. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's uh, huge. I, I, I mean, and, you know, we uh, we didn't spend any time in the family gaming area, obviously, but we did walk past it. I loved seeing the uh, supersized versions of like the classics, like Ticket to Ride with like really chunky trains. The other giant ice cool that I only found out afterwards. Yeah, got it. <laughs> um, so, did, did you uh, were, were you hanging around the the family area then with the kids as well? And uh, uh, did you get? Any- yeah, so we did did a bit of hanging around the family area and a bit of uh, trying some new things. Um, so, um, my son really enjoyed. Um, was it Rhino Superhero? I can't remember the name of the game. Oh, right, right, Rhino, 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 Rhino and, Super Battle. That's, yeah. that's the one. Yes, I, I think I got the name of that wrong every time I. I tried to describe it to someone, but it's a, a lovely little game. And then um, speaking of ice cool, which you did earlier, the, the follow-up to that, the Pyramid of the Penguin. We didn't try um, that. I saw uh, it, but that looked really interesting. Yeah, both my kids really love that. It's, it's got quite a, a fun hidden movement thing where um, one person's playing the mummy, moving around the maze. Um, and they they move using a magnets, so that it moves on the opposite side of the board, and they can't see where the other players are. Oh. Um, so that's quite a fun little uh, game to play with your kids because obviously you can play the mummy moving around, but they have to try and collect the treasures without letting it on where they are. But the treasures are in known locations. So. Right. Oh, okay. Interesting. It's, it's quite a nice little setup, and the, the visual design of the. Um, um, ice cool series of games is lovely and very oh, yeah. very tactile so the kids love that as well was there a particular game that, that stood out for you at expo matt uh, i'm trying to think what, what did i like role playing wise i picked up a copy of spire um which was on the um in the rpg league um stand and that's uh grant howitz i believe mm-hmm. um visually lovely it's got art in the style of uh, kind of hellboy-esque kind of all oh, right thing going for it and it's it's just beautiful very stark color and very strong colors it's, it's a lovely book and it's um the setting is uh, all about this dark elf city that was conquered by the, some high elves a couple of hundred years ago and you're part of the growing rebellion against Ooh. that rule and there's uh-huh. rules for how your rebellion slowly changes the city around you and that, that that was one of my interesting purchases of the con and i think that'll be an interesting one to play yeah sounds neat it, it's quite interesting actually um because i really I, i'm a novice as far as rpgs go it's like I, i've just really got in the door I've, I've tried a bit of pathfinder and i've played quite a bit of D. But I'm always really interested to hear about these very specific RPG scenarios where where um, 
not only do the world builders get because I imagine with a game like Spire, Matt, the imagine the maps and things like that will be very detailed if it's a specific city. Yeah, so there's quite a lot of detail on this specific setting and how the city works and so on. But there's also quite a lot of it left for you to kind of build around. Um, it's 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 something I'm quite a fan of, and my designs is this idea of kind of giving people a kind of minimum viable situation to play in, where there's just enough hinting at the setting, so you've got the kind of gaps in between it to make sure. it your own. And I think that's kind of important. It's um, a, a lot of kind of older role playing games went with very much a we must must detail all of the villages on this continent and what celebrations they have and. In great detail, and none of that was actually ever going to turn up in play. So I think it's interesting where you've got a lot of these newer games that are going, well, you've got a certain amount of setting that you need to be able to play the game and that your character's going to interact with and to use as a good jump-off point to make it your own. And I think that's where there's a lot of really interesting work kind of going on at the moment in role-playing game design. It's kind of giving people the tools to leap off a tricky a tricky tightrope act i imagine you know give give, you know giving the players and the the gms most importantly the uh enough uh for a launching platform but keeping it vague enough so that they can put their own mark on it and take their own take their own thing to the the game or the campaign you want to steer them in the direction of a story without holding their hand too much don't you exactly but this is why this is this is why we love RPGs because it gives you that uh, it's a very unique storytelling experience where the story isn't being dictated to you. You you experience a story, but you have the power to influence it, yeah. and you do feel like and a good a good GM will let you feel that as well. Yeah, it's very empowering as a player as well. Yeah, being part of that. Yeah, and it's and and different games handle it in a very different way as well. I mean something. Um, like the agency gives you a lot of creativity within a certain set of constraints and same with the queen's men is it's saying well you you're it's all already been decided what characters you're playing and what the situation is but the creativity is in the gaps between the things there whereas other things will say oh you can play anything you like as long as you're allowed to do only influence the adventure via these touch points which are the combat system and maybe some role playing and maybe but everything else is leading you by the nose and so there's there's different ways in which you can approach that kind of um interaction in the medium so you can you you can either constrain the types of interactions you have or you can constrain the situation you're in and everything in between those so it it leads to some quite interesting um creative constraints in certain role playing games um one of the games that I'm a big fan of that's being kickstarted at the moment is uh, the Mountain Witch. I don't know if you've heard of that. Must uh, must admit, not uh, not been on my radar actually, but I I'm going to make a point of checking it out as soon as we finish start, uh, recording. So yeah, it's 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 a lovely um, role playing game of playing samurai, um, but it, it's it's a very specific samurai scenario. The scenario is you are the Ronin hired to climb Mount Fuji and defeat the mountain witch mm-hmm. um and but the whole whole premise of it is you play these ronin um but each of you has a dark secret and and you can only trust your fellow ronin so much ah. um and so the entire game is built around this scenario of you have to trust people to get to the top and finish your mission but you can't trust people because all of them have got into ulterior motives 
and the system is very distilled down to almost the extent that your, your only mechanics are um, trusting people and not trusting people pretty much, which means that if you trust someone, well, you get bonus dice from them and to you when you're doing things together. Mm-hmm. But the more you trust things, when the moment of betrayal comes, the more the, it backwashes onto you. And that is just a beautiful dynamic for telling samurai stories. And again, it's, it gets to this thing of, it's a very distilled scenario. It gives you the tools to turn that scenario into an amazing story. Um, but it's not a game that you can say, oh, you can play anything you want. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it works for that scenario in a very few limited similar scenarios, like um, World War II, Guns of Navarone kind of thing. Yeah. But it's not going to help you play Lord of the Rings because it's a very different story dynamic. And that, as we were saying earlier on in the episode, I think that the beauty with RPGs is just, uh, as, as you were saying, Matt, it's become such a wide church now. There's yeah. something for everyone. Absolutely. Which is, which is great. But Matt, I, I, I think that's all we've got time for right now. Uh, but just before we uh, sign off, uh, could you just remind our listeners if they want to try out the agency or the Queen's Men, where can they check that out? Uh, they can check that out at realms.co.uk where you can find all my stuff um, from the agency, the Queen's Men, some of my older games like Covenant, which is a game of failing conspiracies, and some of my other recent stuff like The Filthy Dozen, which is uh, a game of goblin commandos this is the one I wanted to check <laughs> I, I saw that at the end of uh, The Queen's Men, and yeah. I love the sound of it, so we'll check that one out yeah. as well. But look, uh, Matt, thank you very much for coming on uh, this evening's show. Uh, guys, be sure to check out Matt's work at his website. Uh, but until next time, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hi, everyone. It's Charlotte from the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Now be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. All you need to do is search Unlucky Frog Gaming. You can also show your support for the Unlucky Frog through Patreon. To find out more information, check out our website, www.unluckyfrog.com. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) 